everybody, welcome back to another fantastic episode of Hard in the Paint Podcast, the NBA podcast where we ask the hard questions about the NBA. I'm your host, Matt, and again joined by none other than Michael. And today on this uh, November 9th, we've got plenty of fun happenings to talk about in the NBA. A lot has gone on since uh, our last venture into the realm of enjoying talking about things related to basketball with you guys, our valuable listeners from all over the world. Uh, recently, we've been getting a lot of listeners from Mexico and Turkey and lots of Southern Europe, so really appreciate our, our worldwide fans. Yeah, our global expansion. It's, our uh, intern team is working really hard. Yeah, our, we're following the trend of the NBA to become more of a global game appreciate adam silver for that but uh let's before we hop into anything talk about our sponsor for today's episode of hard in the paint podcast lysol so you may know lysol as the number one uh, american favorite disinfectant spray that kills 99.9 percent of viruses and bacteria your number one cold and flu fighting spray but did you know that it comes with box tops for education? So uh, much with the current uh, midterm election status of our of this American country we reside in, education is, of course, a popular political topic. And you can support education and support Hard in the Paint with each purchase of a Lysol disinfectant spray. I prefer the sort of classic uh, crisp linen scent really kind of is is very neutral doesn't you know allergy kind of person doesn't really trigger you too much but i use it all over the place in the house you know you talk about maybe the bathroom after you you put a nice one down the tubes there maybe you got some stinky fish sauce you've been using on the stove or maybe your trash bin's getting a little stinky or or dirty or or what have you and and i absolutely absolutely love my bottle of Lysol spray so be sure to head on over to your local store or directly at their website uh, Lysol.com slash harden the paint for 15% off your first purchase there and with that let's hop right into the wonderful world of the NBA and let's just start off with the most tragic story of the NBA so far maybe not tragic uh, the Cavs are potentially the worst team in NBA history right now. And they, maybe this is a little bit of old news, but they fired their head coach, Tyron Lue, their championship winning head coach. What, what does this say about the state of the Cavs organization right now, Michael? Boy, I guess they're going to win the number one pick without LeBron again. Who would have thought, you know, conspiracy bill was all over this about a month ago. Yeah, you got a LeBron-sized crater to fill, not only in his hometown, but in the hearts and minds of millions of fans of that awful town. And Tyron Lue's gone. They're looking for a new general manager. You know, Kevin Love is kind of going through some injuries right now. Got all these old vets. I mean, geez, where where is the optimism for the Cavs? I think it's got to be in the fact that they can turn over the roster, right? So 
do they start a fire sale on all these vets, particularly Kyle Corver, J.R. Smith, Tristan Thompson, George Hill, Rodney Hood? Those are some of your better prospects. Kevin Love's got his foot injury, also over the age of 30. Also has kind of been tainted after the whole LeBron kind of tenure in Cleveland. So maybe it's not super high value, but I still think he can bring a lot to a lot of different teams out there. Uh, Oklahoma City kind of jumps to mind. So there's, so, there's a lot of pieces there, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, yeah. you think how many teams could use a non... Uh, a non-mental lapsed J.R. Smith or, you know, think about like uh, the Rockets didn't have Clint Capella, they would love Tristan Thompson or you know, how many teams could use just a solid backup point guard, maybe like Philly could use George Hill, you know there's a lot of pieces there that would really be a good part on on one of these contending teams but really the downside is the Cavs have paid these guys a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, a few of the teams that you just mentioned kind of come to mind. I think the most interesting is Kyle Korver. Not a super loaded contract. All you know, Obviously a sharpshooter. Can't really play him on defense. But for a team like the Lakers, where they just need shooting, Sixers also need outside shooting. Perhaps there could even be a three-team deal where – the cat or um, the Cavs offload Kyle Korver, then you know maybe to the Sixers. The Sixers offload JJ Redick to the Lakers, um, and Philly takes on KCP. You know, in order to kind of fill that Markel Fultz hole that they have, um, there's kind of some interesting moves. I think a lot of it still depends on three teams that are. And we'll kind of get this to this in a little bit, but three teams that are struggling right now that a lot of people thought had at least top eight uh nba rankings in the rockets lakers and sixers so maybe they can make some moves i also wouldn't be surprised if boston somehow came in on this you know a lot of three for ones they got too many guys on their team <coughs> maybe they're looking to offload i'll let you take it from here yeah so really when you're when you're looking at this you you really kind of want the best to work out for everybody, but at the same time you're like, man, Cleveland really didn't try to save face at all when they were knew this impending doom of LeBron was going to happen. Now you might say, oh man, they got Colin Sexton. You know, he's a pretty good player, but been getting flack from all different sides of that organization from players saying he just flat out doesn't know how to play, or he's not a point guard, he doesn't pass, or you know, he's kind of this. Kemba-esque figure, but he's kind of really just a scorer, not really a passer, and maybe there's some locker room stuff going on there, which kind of wouldn't surprise me. Um, so but, let's get to Matt's question of the minute. Is Duke better than the Cleveland Cavaliers right now? So I've been seeing this question go around social media the past couple of days, but just the the hype train yeah zion williamson's first game and Duke just have been thrashing people and then the Cavs, of course are looking worse than this the like sixers from four years ago with kevin love being out and you know jr smith being terrible and all these things um personally i think from a realistic perspective the Cavs are probably better than than duke but 
I don't think it's actually that far off. Like if if you got, you know, you look at Zion, he's 285, like 6'10". He's obviously a monster-like athlete, but I don't think the cardio of that Duke team is there to keep up with the pace and space of the Cavs. However, that individual talent is, is probably pretty darn close. Well said. Let's move over to the other side of the conference, to the other participant in last year's and the last four NBA Finals in the Golden State Warriors, Head Ben Clay. Is this the newest uh, part entry into the Apparel Hall of Fame? Yeah, I, I was watching. It must have been probably about ten days ago now. This this game where Clay Thompson just flat out explodes on the three-pointer offense. He, he had, I think he had 10 threes by halftime or, or something like that. And he was just, not only was he the hot hand, he was getting open. His teammates were just feeding it to him left, right, and center. And and I feel bad for the Bulls because they were obviously the recipients of this beatdown. And pretty much everybody had them chalked up as the next team for someone to score 60 on. But little did we know it would be Clay doing his, like, almost a similar game from his game last year where he scored, like, 38 with, like, two dribbles or something like that. And honestly, it was so entertaining to watch because after about halftime, everybody figured out, all right, they're just going to feed the ball to Clay, and they just started running bodies and jumping at Clay every time he grabbed the ball, almost like a guy playing 2K and just spamming triangle all day. It was honestly a pleasure to watch. However, he hit 14 threes, you know, two minutes into the third quarter, and then he didn't shoot anymore for us the game. It's like he had the perfect chance to, to seal a record for like the next 30 years, and, and he threw it away. Yeah, I don't know if it would have been sealed for the next 30 years. I mean, a bunch of teams are about to break their three-point wrecks. Um, but I think this definitively proved to me that Clay is my favorite warrior. There is not – like, Steph is surreal in just the way that he's changed the landscape of the NBA. But when Clay gets hot, it's far more entertaining, right? Game six of the 2016 Western Conference Finals last year, like you mentioned, and then, like, just a few days ago – Watching Clay is so much better than watching Steph. And I, it, it's kind of weird just because I think they're the number two team in the NBA right now, right behind Toronto by a game. And they're basically just playing cruise control with Curry, KD, Clay. Draymond's been really quiet. Obviously, Boogie's been ejected that one time. You haven't really heard anything from the rest of the bench and Iggy and Livingston. Just a very kind of like cruise control, very much like, oh, we, you know, we'll be around in April kind of mentality here from golden state and it it's really scary because steph is playing out of his mind right now putting up mvp type numbers it's kind of like that same argument we used to have a while ago where it's like oh lebron's got 28 8 and 8 again he's gonna be in the mvp conversation and we just kind of get like voter fatigue for him and we're kind of feeling that with like the ridiculousness of golden state three-pointers and offense and and all of that and you know it's it's almost i i hate to say it because it's like fundamentally like incredible basketball to watch but it's kind of getting old to me like i almost don't even watch golden state play anymore 
Like you, you... I watched them to watch the other team try to beat them. Yeah, it's it's not like exciting. You, you see, you know, okay, they're gonna run these screens and this that pass around a lot, and then it's like, all right, we're gonna, you know, if stuff gets rough, we'll give it to KD to ISO, and then he'll bail us out. And you know, it's at at this point, you're just watching it to see if anybody thrashes him hard enough. And I guess last night was a great example of that with with the Milwaukee versus Golden State, who just took Milwaukee just took hold of the game from a defensive standpoint and they really never looked back they got to a 30 point lead in the third quarter pretty early on and stayed that way for the rest of the game yeah out of the last five years of the Golden State run this team is the scariest to me this one feels the most inevitable that they're going to win the title and that it's so jarring for me that, you know, this team is going to accomplish kind of this mission that they're on. And, and I think it's just because they're kind of doing this whole, like Michael Myers thing, right? They're just being really quiet about it and they're just killing everybody. They're just kind of chopping people down, stabbing them in the neck and, you know, they just keep rolling. That's crazy. It, yeah. It, it's the insane part is, is it almost feels like, you know, when Boogie comes back, it's got to screw it up somehow because they can't get any better. I mean, that's what we're all hoping for. So uh, Halloween, movie that just came out, and uh, on Halloween, Derek Rose decided to uh, wear a costume. Have any guesses what his costume was, Matt? Probably, um, hmm. probably like Samuel Jackson from Snakes on a Plane. Uh, you're kind of close. Uh, you know, kind of similar. Samuel Jackson was relevant in 2011. In the 2011, Derrick Rose won the MVP, and he basically played like an MVP on Halloween night. He got everybody. He tricked them all. He put up 50 points on the Jazz. Now, this was a crazy experience I heard about after the fact. It was like the one day I decided not to watch the Timberwolves play, and it was like, holy crap, D. Rose has like 30 points by halftime. I was like, what? And so I... Jimmy Butler not playing. Yeah, like Jimmy wasn't playing. I think like Cat, Cat was awful. Yeah, Cat like was like 0 for 12 or something. Or something. Yeah, like, I think he had like two points. He was incredible. And and ever since this game, he's been doing like 28 points a game or something. And and the crazy part is, is D Rose can shoot threes now somehow. Yeah. His form looks like, awful, but they go in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, somehow he's kind of renaissanced his game. It's almost like this whole pace explosion of the NBA has somehow like rejuvenated Derrick Rose on a team that shouldn't be rejuvenated by the idea of pace at all. And now he's like in the conversation of most improved player of the year. You know, maybe it's one of those things where everybody thought, oh man, this guy's like on his last leg in every sense of the phrase. And you know, he never was good at shooting threes and he lost all of his explosiveness. And so everyone's been kind of like, all right, like second string point guard now, and maybe he just out hustled literally everybody known on the face of the earth, and is now a starter on like a team. Like, I, unless I don't, you know, maybe it's a contract year for him. But dang, like this is a way to play yourself onto a championship team. If I heard of it, yeah, it just feels so 
unbelievably surreal to have D Rose sort of welcome back into the NBA fold. Kind of like when Oladipo kind of came back, where you know you kind of had that initial year after uh, college, and then we kind of just didn't hear about him. Then he gets kind of shipped out to OKC, and then obviously the trade with Paul George happens, and he just kind of comes back. And it kind of felt like that. Like, D-Rose just kind of came back. And his somehow his athleticism, you know, it's not quite what it was, but he sort of made up with it by having some shooting skills. And the funny thing is, is I think this is the first year since his ACL tear where he's been on the same team and not been injured in the summer. Like, same with uh, with Blake Griffin, too. Like, the first summer both of those guys have been able to actually train and train with the team they're going to be on yeah it's kind of it's just so weird because it was like oh jimmy's on this team this is jimmy's team then jimmy wanted out but then jimmy stayed and still gave a fuck but then you know it's like oh okay cat this should be your team then maybe wiggins and it's like oh no now it's probably d rose is like second on that pecking order behind jimmy butler it's just such a weird dichotomy that the, you know, the 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 Timber Pups part of this team, kind of moved to the wayside, and somehow Tibbs' strategy is working, and it's very scary. So, I think the crazier part is is this guy is in a most improved player conversation as a almost seven year old MVP. So. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever had a case this extreme of someone being at the highest of highs, then at the lowest of lows, and now back to 60 to 70% form. It's like, wow. Like, talk about a roller coaster of a career. And now he's in this uh, early uh contest with, with uh Julius Randle in the Pelicans world and Zach Levine in the Chicago realm like this is actually a hard conversation at this point yeah it's you know Zach Levine is also kind of rebounding from a long history of injuries he's putting up 27 points per game right now on a Chicago team that you know albeit it's not very good but there's a lot of potential there with Chicago. I think everyone kind of sees like, oh, they could win a game any night. They probably just won't string enough together to make the playoffs. And then Julius Randle, after you know, essentially being exiled out of the the Lakers, you know, is pairing well with Miritich and AD in New Orleans. And the crazy kind part of, to me like is like a weird point forward kind of role. See, yeah, it's like okay, you know. You think the Lakers would have liked Randall because of he kind of plug plugs that LeBron spot, you know, when when LeBron's out or even playing with LeBron, and then yeah. he's he's still performing well in this trio of power forwards in New Orleans, and then Zach Levine looks almost like oh uh, nine D Rose. He's like ISO point guard, you know, acceleration king. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of like, you know, we were all kind of expecting Zach Levine after he won the dunk contest to maybe transition into having a better all-around game. And it looks like he's finally kind of starting to kind of see that as just kind of this, you know, this shooting guard, basically. I mean, all he's doing is 
putting up points, being a scorer, kind of Jamal Crawford 2.0 in a new landscape that's better fit to his talent, kind of like Lou Williams. His dunks are nasty. Like he, that dude has some amazing speed and crossover. Like honestly, he's probably the closest thing to uh, the old eleven MVP Rose. Not only that, he's on Chicago too. So, and he's got a big contract now that everyone thought that he they overpaid for. Yep. Now they just have to worry about Jabari. Uh, <laughs> Speaking so... of Chicagoans, <laughs> yeah, go ahead uh, and take a it little off. a little unknown fact. Or maybe it's known now. Is is Dwayne Wade's retiring? Like, when did we forget about this? I mean, Miami has just been off the face of the planet. It seems like in terms of news. Yeah, I don't understand why I don't care more. I feel like I should. I feel like when Kobe retired, I was like genuinely interested all the time. I mean, hell, I even watched like the last game over watching Golden State try to break, you know, the MJ Bulls. Uh, 72 wins in a season record. I cared more about Kobe in a fucking useless game, but somehow I don't really care about Dwayne Wade. It almost feels like it's too late. Like, if he had did this two years ago, there kind of would have been a better send-off, but now it's like everyone's kind of image of D-Wade is too tainted by the injuries and the excessive eating and the locker room problems and, you know, the journeyman there at the end. Yeah, he kind of... Like, we all, like, you know, it was, what, two, three years ago, he did the Chicago deal, then he went and joined LeBron in Cleveland, and then he hung around, and then he finally went back to Miami, and now it's like, all right, he's not really playing that much, and Miami's not, like, a huge contender, and there was all those mucklings with Whiteside going on, and I don't know, it just feels like he kind of, like, when you, like... Like if you like broke up with a girl three times and then got back together yeah. with her, it's like the the ship's kind of sailed a while ago. And I think we all knew it was going to happen again, but they're just kind of like counting down the minutes. Yeah, I mean, outside of Derrick Rose, I think D-Wade for me has had one of the more tragic kind of second acts to his NBA career. You know, the guy between 05 and 09... I mean, it was an intense slasher. Just a guy who can completely take over a game. I mean, completely embodied hero ball in all of its glory and all of its, you know, disgusting foul line. Let me just kind of keep hacking away until the refs blow a call for me. And then LeBron came to town. And it looked like they, you know, they they clicked those first kind of two and a half years, and then Wade's knee started to give out, and he just lost that explosiveness and had that one vintage playoff game last year against the Sixers. But I feel like for a guy who kind of played kind of like Kobe in that kind of two guard role, you know, that kind of hero ball mentality, kind of coming to an end in the in the style of pace. Speaking of coming to an end. Did he have a beginning? We're talking about Mark Fultz. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is it, you know, is it still too early to write him off as a bust? I, I, he's... I, I think it's too early to, to roll out the bust potential only because in my, in my argument, there's, it, it's a very fragile argument. It's, you know, it's a very 
House of Cards could easily tip over, but it's because I haven't labeled Andrew Wiggins a bust yet. That is the only reason why I'm not calling Markel Fultz a bust is because I haven't made Andrew Wiggins a bust yet. Damn, that's, that's my a frail-ass <laughs> argument. So, I, I, if anything, I'd call Wiggins a bust. I mean, he's, maybe not he's from a money bust perspective. He's, he's, right on the, he's right on the edge of, of, of bus city, right? He's, he's right there. He's, he, he, he's been a tourist. He's visiting. He's hitting him up. He's staying overnight. He's taking these weekend trips. He's a guaranteed not, not top 10 lottery draft again. Like, that's pretty understandable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be sad if Fultz is a bust because he's the guy that really could take that Philly team up a level. Yeah, they really kind of, not that they put all their eggs in one basket with him, but they didn't really set up as good of a backup plan as they did with Embiid and then Simmons in terms of just roster moves. Uh, you know, they, they really, I, I agree, you know, coming back off a pretty um, finicky injury that, is really, I think, more of an impact than people think, and he's not, he didn't really have a calling card to begin with, you know, he was just kind of like a all-around good offensive point guard talent, and he's, you know, he's still new to the actual playing in the NBA, but. Yeah, but that's what they need, they just need out, some outside shooting, you know, Ben Simmons can handle a playmaking, they just need a guy to spot up and make three threes a game and then do a little bit on the inside. Maybe they should, I don't know, maybe they should stagger the minutes between Fultz and Simmons, you know, just completely can the keys over to Fultz. But then the problem might be that the game might be lost on those second units. The biggest issue I see with the Sixers right now, and this is them coming off of, I think their first road win of the season right now. Um, that is, there's definitely a lack of, I don't want to say chemistry, but just like inherent like play and ball and player movement when when they, their big three is like holding the ball. So like when it beads in the post, it's like everyone's standing and watching. And like mm -hmm. when Simmons is kind of doing his thing, it's like most of them are standing and watching. And same with Fultz. And that's a team that's almost like the Warriors in a sense of they pass around a lot, they off-ball screen a lot, they kind of cut around a lot because they don't have the greatest isolation talent in the world. Uh, it's, you know, Brett, I think Brett Brown's actually a pretty decent coach in that regard. Like last year we could see it pretty well back when they were playing Simmons without Embiid for that long stretch at the end of the season. Uh, and he, and maybe his like playoff rotation isn't the greatest, but there's the seeds are there to kind of do the Warriors type style of play, just without a three point shooting that they're we're kind of counting on. I think from either Fultz or Embiid or Simmons this year, and that's kind of their fatal flaw right now. Feels very flipped. I feel like the struggles with Philadelphia were things that I expected last year from them kind of, you know, they're just starting to kind of figure it out. But then last year was such an overwhelming success. Number three seed in the East. 
uh, ranked off like 16 straight wins in the season, won their first playoff series against Miami, um, kind of hit the wall with Boston, but they had like, you know, completely beyond expectations. And then this year, you know, we have those expectations that they should be in the top three of the East. You know, they should be in the conversation for Eastern Conference finalists, um, you know, dark horse um, title contenders even. And it just kind of feels like they've taken um, not just, you know, kind of stayed still like maybe Indiana, but they've actually kind of regressed. And I think a lot of that had to do with Ilyasova and Bellinelli not being there and Redick not really being, you know, quite on his game yet. Yeah, and it's almost like we got such a pleasant surprise last year that we maybe tricked ourselves into believing this was the standard when once the reality and the gravity set in this year, it kind of put us back down to, to earth. And speaking of players out on cloud nine, this fantastic game between Denver and the Celtics, I think it was four or five days ago now, with Jamal Murray going almost for 50 points in the game, finally breaking the NBA, like I always had faith in that Nuggets team for. Uh, one of my favorite, I think, players, not to watch, but just in kind of attitude. I love his little font where he does the bow and arrow thing. It's great. <laughs> awesome. And then just how he plays with Jokic and them, it's just fun as heck to watch. Um, do you happen to catch this game at all? or uh, I only saw the highlights, but... It really made me happy that Kyrie was so pissed off and Jamal Murray got so pissed off. And it felt like, man, Denver actually has some swag here. You know, they actually have like an attitude. They have an edge. They actually feel relevant for the first time. Yeah, that team really didn't have a personality without him at that moment. Yeah, and it was just, you know, it kind of felt awesome that it's like these two teams that, you know, as far as I know, historically don't have any kind of rivalry between them. And yet it was kind of just such a competitive game that it kind of slightly boiled over. I mean, it wasn't nothing like the Lakers Rockets kind of thing, but it was these kind of two random kind of teams on a matchup. And it's like, oh man, this is fun. You know, the young guy versus kind of Kyrie kind of just trying to show him up. And then Kyrie obviously at the end trying to stop Jamal Murray from getting his 50. Now, I think that was probably the biggest hot take after that game was the end of the game, Jamal Murray's got 48 points. The clock's winding down, end of the fourth quarter. The Nuggets are going to win the game. I think they were up by like 10 at that point or something with four or five seconds left. And Jamal Murray's just dribbling it out. And as he's dribbling it out, he jacks up a three. And then... The Celtics crew is then angry at him, and Kyrie chunks the ball into the stands, not to give Jamal Murray the actual game ball. And then, of course, every interview after the game, and you know Stephen A. and first take, and all these folks were then posing the question: Was you know, is it bad sportsmanship for Jamal Murray to have shot that unnecessary three-point shot at the end of the game to? Hit that 50 point moniker i believe nah, that I it's so. it's not I, I feel like the game was already out of reach maybe say it's 
you know, stat padding or, or something like that and and this, that, and the other. But uh, it's interesting to think about sort of uh, how maybe in the last 10 years or so, sort of that idea of last second shots to the kind of stat padding in general has been a little more looked down upon. I think maybe, you know, all these kids nowadays in the NBA are playing the video game all the time. And whenever you play the video game, you chuck that last second shot no matter what, because you're just trying to win the game and you don't care about stats. And it would be cool if you make it, but if you don't, it's whatever. And you know, the opponent's going to do that all the time. Whereas in IRL basketball, that doesn't happen at the professional level for some reason. Yeah, I kind of have two points about this. The first is Jamal Murray is a relatively, you know, unknown, kind of off the radar kind of player. You know, if this was Kevin Durant at 48 and then he tries to make a three at the end, I th- you know, that's a bit more worthy of the whole bad sportsmanship kind of conversation. Just because it's Kevin Durant, you know, an all-time great scorer, a guy who doesn't need this, a guy who's already done something like this before, putting up 50 and winning championships and things. But Jamal Murray's trying to make a name for himself. So putting up, you know, 50, you know, it kind of just puts him in the kind of Twitterverse, right? And so I think that's, you know, that's kind of the criterion. I think it's like, you know, we hold guys like LeBron and Kyrie and Katie to a bit of a higher standard than Jamal Murray right now. Now, I think it was also, on the flip side, I think it's also extreme from Kyrie's perspective to chuck the game ball away in the stands <laughs> and not let, yeah. you know, I get I get it, you're upset, you, you know, that's your guy that you're supposed to guard, you screwed up, you gave him 50 points, well, 40, 40 whatever, but, like, you know, somebody did that to you, wouldn't you want the game ball? Like, you know, especially for your first, you know, 50-ish point game. Um, you know, would you want to throw that all away with a chuck of a shot at the last second? I mean, geez. I think it had more to do with the fact that Kyrie, up until we get to the Suns game, very slow start, Boston, very slow start. And I think you're starting to kind of see some tension kind of there. Nothing that won't be solved by Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge and Al Horford and things, but, you know, you're starting to see kind of, some tension on that team of who's going to get the minutes and, you know, kind of circling back to your, your, you know, your point on like stat padding, I think there's kind of been this reflection after Westbrook won the MVP in a season where he averaged a triple double and then did it again the next year and no one cared, you know, everyone just kind of chalked it up to stat padding. And I think that was kind of the, the turning point a little bit where it's one year, the guy's basically stat padding wins an MVP next year. No one cares. Um, and so maybe that was kind of the mindset of, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, you know, take the last shot. Don't take the last shot. Every other NBA player does not really care. The media doesn't really care. The fans don't really care. A very temporary sort of, uh, little bit of outrage. It's kind of like, um, you know, I'd say a month from now, I think everybody will forget about this. Yeah. I mean, except for the memes. There's been there's been some decent memes already. That's true. Um, speaking of memes, what the heck is going on in the magical world of the wild, wild west of basketball? So 
in the past, uh, since we did our last video, the Thunder have won, I think, seven games in a row now? Yeah, yeah. They were struggling really early, right? Hadn't won, I think, four games, the first four games. Now they've reeled off seven straight. And then in the reverse, you have the Pelicans, who I think came out at 4-0, and and they've lost the last five. A lot of... Uh... Craziness. Yeah, and it's not like the schedules have been piled either. I don't know if it was just sort of a magical hot start that sometimes happens, or people starting to game plan the right way, or... You know. Hyper-competitive West. Uh, you know, sitting at top is Golden State. I think that's no surprise to anybody. But then you have the Nuggets, like, hot on their trail, the Blazers, the Spurs, the Grizzlies, the Clippers, the Kings... It's you it's know. a little crazy to think the Kings are in that conversation, and even the Clippers too. And yeah. what about the Grizz? I mean, jeez. Yeah. I think the secretly like dark horse story though is the dang Trailblazers again. It's like Dame and CJ have only gotten better, and that team's roster yeah. objectively got worse. It's like yeah, every time we rule them out. I the only thing I can point to is man. They've doubled down on Evan Turner playing kind of that point forward position for the second unit a lot, and it's working out really well for them. And they have the other Curry, who is not yep, anything it, to rule out. And, and then on the flip side, you know, the Pelicans, the Rockets, the Lakers, and then to some extent the T-Wolves and the Jazz scraping towards the bottom. And then obviously at the very bottom we have Dallas and Phoenix, but that's no real surprise, but... Why are the Rockets and Lakers and Jazz struggling? So I believe the Rockets is probably the easiest question to answer. Mm-hmm. That is, last night, Carmelo was 1 of 11 from the <laughs> field with no other stats recorded at a net rating oh, of God. minus 22. Jesus Christ, Melo. Please retire. This is This might be, you know... All right, give him give him the D Rose treatment, you know. Give him four years, maybe he'll come back with a fifty point game to round out this like slew of fifty point games by random ass players in the NBA. But like, oh my god, like you know. Then you've got the Rockets now in the secret trade deal, trading four future first round picks for Jimmy Butler. Holy crap! Like, yikes. Is that like nobody would have thought they would have made that deal a year ago? It feels like they're panicking. Do you think they're panicking? Oh, the fan base is absolutely panicking. This, this team shouldn't have this much this much dysfunction. I know they've had some injuries with Harden and CP3 already, and then obviously CP3 getting ejected out of the game. But where is Eric Gordon been? Very quiet. You know, Gerald Green, Capella. Hey, you know who's not there anymore on that Phoenix team? I'm saying. Phoenix team that recently dished out Tyson Chandler to the Lakers, who desperately needed another five. Who was actually the reason why they beat the T-Wolves the other night. Yeah. From another D-Rose 30-point performance. Yeah, two LeBron clunkers, and then Tyson Chandler with the offensive rebounding. Like everybody Lakers thought this dude was washed up like four years ago, and now he's, you know, doing his old back tips to small forwards. Yeah, I, 
I feel like we're going to start seeing some roster moves by the Lakers in, I think, mid-December is when the the window opens back up where you can trade uh, players that you signed in the summer. Um, so, you know, kind of putting it out there, but maybe a, a flip of Redick and KCP. I think the money's about the same. Well, it kind of speaks to me the fact that, you know, the only real center the Lakers had was McGee. And they had this, I think, little preconceived notion of being a Warriors light with sort of LeBron <laughs> and Ingram, Ingram or um, Kuzma. Yeah, Kuzma at at that power forward slash center role with LeBron, and they could play off each other. And I think they've resigned the fact that you know Ingram and Kuzma can't fill that center role, and we know LeBron isn't going to do that. So. Uh, I think they're going to start being a little more traditional in their lineups. That or they're just, you know, playing it out, try and pick up Anthony Davis. The Pelicans keep struggling. They're going to want to dump Anthony Davis for something. And I say Tyson the Chandler's a good a replacement. Yeah. Uh, Lakers should make a move. LeBron <laughs> can be a facilitator. Anthony Davis also doesn't like playing center. Which is weird, because I think it's actually his best position. I think he actually plays better when he is a five. And then, of course, we have the magical world of uh, the East. Which LeBronless East, yeah. has been, I think, relatively quiet, actually. But the sort of fun story, I guess, is the Raptors are actually good. Kawhi is actually back. Best team in the league i don't know if Kawhi is back he's i mean stats wise he's definitely back but it still feels like you're kind of waiting for him to go up a gear and kind of really see that Kawhi. it kind of feels like he's you know we, we all know that Kawhi is like, a, like the best two-way player and a really intelligent guy probably should have been the mvp of the season two years ago when he led that Spurs team ahead of that Rockets team uh, in the in the Western standings and then beat them in the playoffs. But it still feels like Kawhi is not quite there yet. Like he's still kind of missing that speed element, kind of like Gordon Hayward with Boston. It, is, it still feels like there's something not quite right, but it's they're getting there. I agree. You know, you, you watch him play, he plays almost identical the way he did in Spurs land with the sort of wing, you know, elbow pick and roll type deal. Mm. You know, great defense as always, but I'd say him and really a surprising amount of people just look at half a step slow on offense these days. I don't know if it's just all these guys coming off of sort of nagging injuries or Maybe the pace just is so high that yeah, like everyone looks slower because the pace is higher. <laughs> yeah, something like that, or you know, people have really worked on that defensive agility now that it's a switching game. Mm. Um, Do you think the Raptors are the best all-around team in the NBA? All right, here here are some numbers. Kawhi is twenty-six points, eight rebounds, three assists, and two steals per game. That's what he's putting up. That's a career high in points. And then Kyle Lowry, also sneaky good this year, putting up 18 and 11. 
They have a really deep team with Van Vliet, Valanchunas, Ibaka, CJ Miles, Nubi, yeah. Siakam, CJ Miles, yeah. Feels like all their players can be on the court. Like Danny Green. Like they all kind of feel like they can do both, right? Like offense, defense. You kind of always have that in the rotation. Like there's no, oh, this unit is a good offensive unit. This unit's a good three point shooting unit. This unit's good uh crunch time defending. This unit's good at rebounding. It doesn't kind of feel like that. It feels like a very just kind of well balanced team. Yeah, I yeah, I I would agree with that. I think really the the only thing I see any lack in is you don't have that like ISO scorer, but aren't we not really concerned about that in the NBA these days anyways? So Well I think Kawhi could do that. I just don't think Kawhi in early November can do that, but maybe, you know, once he kinda gets back into the flow of the NBA you know, May Kawhi, you know, April Kawhi, you know, when they really need it in the playoffs. I don't know. Like, I, I'm i still been burned on putting faith <laughs> in the Raptors. I get it. It's not DeRozan anymore, but... They beat the Lakers. A LeBron-led Lakers without Kawhi. I, I just have... Uh, I, I'm just a little hesitant still. Like, it, it feels like something doesn't shake out right. But I, I like the way it's going, I guess. Uh, speaking of things that don't shake out right, what's wrong with the Celtics' offense? Best defense in the league. But this team has not been clicking on offense. Really weird. It, you know, you'd think, all right, we got Kyrie back. You know, yeah. we got Gordon back. And I get Gordon's got one leg still. But I think they kind of just take off – on a springboard kind of where they left off last year and it doesn't seem like that at all i think honestly it's part of that's like Kyrie's rough start you know his first eight to ten games his shooting percentage wasn't the greatest he looked a little off just kind of in general and just mm-hmm. you know he had the longer fro which i think screwed him up um the headband but, yeah the headband too but I think it's I don't want to say it's teams getting better but I think maybe that sort of specialty card of how the Celtics played on offense is maybe wearing off a little bit yeah I'm hoping that this team this Boston could be really exciting right they they on paper have the best chance of taking on Golden State and defeating them and giving us something to smile about in june and they have you know stable franchise and the owner front office coach um al horford right you've got you know you don't have these problems like say like the brooklyn nets or like the new york knicks or the kings right there's no dysfunction but somehow this team feels like they're dysfunctional um even though they're rock solid on defense they have nine guys deep. They're definitely the best, you know, the best team in terms of depth and just kind of versatility. But yeah, it it, it kind of feels like man, Kyrie's got to be that dynamo, that like spark that gets them going, and it just hasn't happened yet. And we're still kind of waiting. And then, it, you know, maybe this is very premature, but 
has Jason Tatum hit the rookie wall? Again? Yeah, possibly. I feel like the, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know if a litmus test is the right word, but there's sort of a guy on each team that's like your measuring stick of are our teams doing well or are our teams not doing well? And it kind of starts to get more blurred and blurred as your team becomes more versatile, I guess, more plug and play. You know, that's that's kind of the reason why I'm not as high on the Raptors is, all right, you can say Kawhi's got 26, 8, and 10 or something, but that mean the team is winning, you know, and I have a hard time with that on the Celtics because it's like there's so many times where it's like, oh, well, this guy was two for 10 from the field, but they won the game. Or like this guy was 10 for 10 from the field, but they lost the game. There's such a hard, like sort of, I don't want to say like box core litmus test of, of like who should be their, their guy. The kind of eye test. You think it'd be Kyrie because it's like Al Horford's going to get you like, 15 10 and 7 or something like that but but who's the who's the, like who's the nba champion who's the face of the team really is is what it like who's the guy when it's like championship comes finals mvp you want to say like al orford at this point which doesn't feel good to say when you've got tatum and Kyrie and gordon on this team it's like mm. yikes um, I guess the last thing I'll say before we uh, talk a little bit about your Utah expedition, you know, there's kind of been this long running phrase that Steve Kerr's always kind of put out that on the basketball court, Kevin Durant is the greatest luxury to have in basketball. And it kind of feels a lot like that with Boston, where it's like you got all these weapons, you know, any night could be that guy's night, right? It could be Jason Tatum one night, Terry Rozier, Marcus Morris even. Uh, but then it feels, man, it's ultimately got to come down to Kyrie if this team really wants to win the title. So maybe Kyrie is the second greatest luxury in basketball. That's an okay statement to make. However, it feels kind of bad. Like, like if, it, you know, sure, the, the season, you know, where Cleveland won and he honestly he took the biggest shot in that finals game. Okay, you know, give me the the last two years of Kyrie in Cleveland. I'll take it. And maybe even, like, the first years where LeBron wasn't there, it's like, all right, this is a dude that's going flat out, toss on some people, and put up some points. Well, last year, he was playing really well until he got injured. But now it's like, I don't know if he's the greatest luxury. You know, I'd say the second greatest luxury is probably, like, LeBron, right? I mean, if KD's one, oh. yeah. I mean, I mean, LeBron is the second greatest player of all time. He's kind of just—I I never really count him in any of these types of statements, just because it's LeBron. Like, he's the second greatest player of all time, as far as I'm concerned. So, he's sort of just kind of his own thing now. You know, he's kind of bigger than the NBA. I mean, he's certainly bigger than the Lakers. You would think like luxury would be like in the Steve Kerr's case, what he's saying is a guy that's always going to get you something and requires very little to to get it done. Yeah, I guess for me, it feels like Boston, you know, if, if they didn't play Kyrie a single minute more, 
Boston could take the number two or three seed in the East without Kyrie. And then if you throw him back in uh, just for the conference finals and the finals, just the last two rounds of the playoffs, that's all Kyrie played. I mean, that'd be that'd be insane. Like, I can imagine Boston without Kyrie getting all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. They did it last year. Then it's like all I need is Kyrie just to show up in the Conference Finals and the Finals, and he's done it before. So I think that's that's kind of what I mean when I say, like, oh, he might be the second greatest luxury. It's this Boston team really probably doesn't need him to get to the Conference Finals, but to win it and then to move on to the Finals and then even have a shot at that against Golden State, that's when they need Kyrie. And that's like a luxury that a lot of teams cannot even fathom to think about, right? It's also just legitimately hard to like straight up counter in a game because you you don't switch a big guy on him. You can't put anyone bigger on him. Mm. Really like the only counter to Kyrie is like the same as Steph, which is like Kawhi Leonard, you know, <laughs> maybe like uh Maybe like Jimmy Butler or something, but like, you know, they ain't gonna play one of those two teams in the finals. So, just like, darn. And then at the same time, this whole argument of him being the second greatest luxury and the, the Celtics not needing him just furthers this New York conspiracy theory that's going on. Oh boy, here we go. All right, speaking of conspiracy theories. Uh, the NBA has uh, put out some new City Edition jerseys. We'll get to that. Uh, probably on another episode, uh, since we're kind of pressed for time, gives gives you some time as a listeners to go check them out for yourselves, form your own opinions, you know, email us, uh, drop a comment below about what you think is really cool. Well, let's talk about the ultimate conspiracy theory: uh, the Utah Mormon State elected Mitt Romney as a senator. Yeah, who would have thought that? You know, with all the gerrymandering and and the blue wave that was supposed to like go. How on. did this dude? How did this dude win that seat? I I just I can't I can't think of it. But you got to realize, and and I realized this from my short stint in Utah from last week. That whole city is like ninety percent white, and like, <laughs> okay, it's probably more like eighty five percent white, like fourteen percent Hispanic, and like three percent black. So. Is that 3% just the NBA players and their families? I was about to say that, but (laughs) basically, (laughs) uh, so I went to the Utah-Memphis game last week, uh, and it was a great experience. Uh, That that Vivint Smart home arena, great arena, very vertical, which is a lot different than all the other arenas I've been in, and uh, kind of a trend going around from people who have been there have said oh man it feels like the fans are right on top of you and it totally is like i was sitting in probably an equivalent seat that i sat at in hornets games and memphis grizzlies games and i was so high up it was kind of crazy to me actually Uh, that's really interesting i didn't know that at all yeah it's just the way the the seats laid out it's a lot more like claustrophobic like 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 your your ramp of your seats is a lot steeper. Oh, do you think that kind of like makes the like game you know kind of crowd atmosphere a little bit more like tight knit or? I I think it absolutely does. So that stadium got so loud so fast. It it, 
it must be the way the acoustics are set up with how the people are in there. It's a lot more like um almost like a like a arena speaker in a sense with how mm-hmm. the angles form rather than just like a, a subwoofer, you know. And and you know, it was a great arena, a lot of good food choices, very easy to get out of uh reasonable ticket prices. Not super duper crowded, but it was Memphis again, so probably not that crowded to begin with. Uh, I got I got there early, like extra early. Got myself a city version of Donovan Mitchell's jersey. I got myself the uh, five for the fight cancer research patch. Yeah, worth the five bucks, honestly. Uh, go go support our our boys over there fighting every day for chemotherapy and whatnot. Got myself more Chick-fil-A. Man, I ate so much freaking Chick-fil-A <laughs> on this trip. I got Chick-fil-A for breakfast every day. I ate it there at the game. I, I mean, ate it at the airport. I had Chick-fil-A chicken. in a year and a half. It was so good. Oh, my gosh. Josh, voice of chicken, dude. And, and so I get there at the game, and you know I'm seeing people do warm-ups and shoot around and all that. And they got, they got Donovan Mitchell out there shooting warming up. I'm like, man... You know, I love this dude. We saw him at Louisville. Like, like, oh man, this dude's great. You know, I couldn't ever remember his name in college because he didn't have any like he didn't have his mohawk yet. He didn't have any striking features. You know, no one really pays a whole lot of attention to Louisville basketball. I was like, man, this guy's good, and and he was uh, warming up, doing a lot of three point shots, running around. And then he goes into the tunnel right before the game starts. Oh no, he's not in sweats yet, and he's not, you know, in the pregame huddle, so to speak. Then they do the team intros, and our boy Donovan isn't even suited up for the game. He's just sitting there on the bench in a nice suit and some uh, dang nice red shoes and everything. I'm like, oh no. Bought myself this nice Mitchell jersey, and now he's not even playing. It's really a shame because that team actually doesn't feel great without Donovan on the floor. <laughs> it's actually not the funnest thing to watch. It was like it was the Ricky Rubio show without him, and that's a yikes for me, dog. Um, and, you know. Being from now two or three Memphis games, I was so tempted to bring my Grizzlies jersey with me. And I should have because the Grizzlies ended up winning that game by like 10 points. And it, and and the fun part was I was sitting, the seats I got, I was sitting right next to an older Asian couple that were season ticket holders there for probably like, I think they said 20 or 30 years. Wow. And I got to talking to them about you know, the team and the NBA and everything. And they were just amazing people to talk to. They had been there, you know, through the John Stockton, Carl Malone stuff and at the old arena and through the Gordon Hayward days. And, oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, the Darren Williams, AK-47, Carlos Boozer days. Can't forget about that. Yeah, I didn't even bring that up because I was trying to ask them. Well, they were actually pointing out to me, all the other season ticket holders in the stands and they're like, Oh, you know, that's the owner. That's the GM over there. That's this person. And they were, they were pointing out to me, like, you know, the camera guys panning to these couple people because they are the son of the ops manager or, you know, 
Oh man, that's crazy. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like it was, it was, it made the experience that much better. And I figured out that they were retired from the company I'm working, going to be working towards out there. And I was like, oh, oh, this is just some freaking coincidence <laughs> going on. Um, but no, they were they were great, and I'm trying to get those seats again because they were they were just such a blast to talk to. Um, I had to explain to them though that you know I was from North Carolina. You know, I was an NC State fan. You know. Louisville is in our our basketball conference, and so I was telling them, you know, we saw a lot of Donovan Mitchell back when he was in college, and he was a great dude. But then I had to explain to them the unfortunate reality that was uh, the person replacing Donovan Mitchell for that game with Grayson Allen. Fuck Duke. I, you know, I had to I had to say to them, you know, I love I love Utah Jazz right now. You know, they're a great team and everything. You know, Go Bears, awesome. You know, Jingles is amazing. But holy uh, mackerel, like Duke. Grayson Allen just ruins it all for me. And he absolutely proved my point that game. I think he <laughs> was two of ten from the field, uh, not counting the one alley oop highlight, which was actually pretty nice. Um, he just felt like he missed every shot, felt like he was getting abused on defense, mostly by Mike Conley and Dylan Brooks. Well, I mean, th- those are the, you know, premier scores in the NBA right now. I mean, Grayson Allen, what could he really have done? I mean, and there's in- no way he could take on a guy like Mike Conley. I mean, come on, Mike Conley? Mike Conley is like the second greatest point guard of all time. You know, the 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 lady I was talking to next to me was telling me, you know, the, the sort of Mike Conley, Marcus Gasol, Memphis team has really been – Utah's kryptonite for the past handful of years, really. And, and I pulled up the stats and I was like, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think Utah is like a 30% win record against Memphis just That's really weird. overall. And and we were talking about it. So similarly. Yeah, you'd think it would be a lot closer because it's yeah. kind of set up the same way. You know, uh, a non-selfish point guard that can do a little bit of everything and then kind of fill in the blank wing players and then a uh, lockdown D center that can work in the post. And she's telling me, you know, ever since uh, Mark has been shifting his way further and further from the basket, um, you know, he takes Gobert out of the picture. And then when they put Derek favors or Trey Lyles on him, he just bullies him inside. And at the same time, you've got Mike, who's such really a kryptonite to Ricky Rubio when you look at their head-to-head matchup it's like Conley pretty much always wins that matchup (laughs) I I, I think it's just a stylistic thing between the two well I mean it's like one guard can pass and shoot and the other can only really pass well in that game Rubio was their only shooter so I was like wow Rubio's you know people going to Rubio screens now they actually get hit with a three like I wouldn't have said that a year ago but it you know, ended up being a 10-point game, and the crowd was really into it, and there was just so many freaking tic-tac calls against Utah, and you heard it on the national broadcast, too. It's like, just felt like everything was going uh, Memphis way in terms of ref calls, and I wanted to start a, a ref you suck chant or like a BS chant, but <laughs> like, the crowd uh, isn't that volatile. They're too nice there. Um but it was if Donovan was playing, easy win for Utah. 
So uh, Grayson Allen, pretty useless. Would you say that he's more useless than NC State's running game last night against Wake Forest? Yes. Because I'm not going to pretend that NC State's running game should start for a pro team. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I... Grayson Allen, talk about a dude who should, since he played all four years in college, should have translated a bit better to the NBA. I hate to say it, but he feels like two years too late. Yeah, like maybe what we need to do is start calling Grayson Allen a bust instead of Markel Fultz. I, I don't so, know. If, you get, if, you, if the way you draft is... <laughs> if, the, if the way you pull out a draft is, all right... We get Donovan Mitchell and Grayson Allen out of a draft, and you could guarantee me that every time. I think I'd take it. Uh, I don't know. The fuck Duke mentality runs too high in Raleigh. Uh, so overall experience for Utah. I if uh, when I live there, I will go to another game, and that's a pretty easy clap. You know, even getting out of there was pretty easy. I only hung around for about 10 minutes afterwards just to get some pictures and get some food for the road, but um, like you really only had downtown traffic for about 10 minutes and then sure the highway was pretty backed up, but there's a decent amount of back roads to go through that aren't so bad, I guess. Pretty cool. So that will uh, wrap us up for this episode of Harden the Paint Podcast. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud and YouTube and Twitter and Gmail and all of the appropriate links below. We do appreciate your feedback in any way that you wish to provide it. Um, we are uh, slowly accumulating another round of mailbag questionnaires that we will probably get to sometime near the end of the year. Um, Stay tuned next time for when we hit up the city jerseys from the NBA that have recently been announced. Uh, I'm really liking sort of this new age concept of alternate jerseys and not always playing home jerseys on home court. And they definitely kind of feel the, better. Like, yeah, and also kind of the the embracement of kind of this retro new age kind of thing you know some teams have more of a futuristic kind of look and some are kind of hauling back to some earlier days they're a great way to think about the ways in which these teams can kind of represent their geographic location better and kind of unify their fan base and at the same time they look good and increase sales so I am totally okay with these uh, and just glossing over them real fast. Say about 90% of them I would probably buy over the regular jersey. And so with that, we'll leave you for this episode. Uh, again, Lysol, thank you for sponsoring this episode of Heart in the Paint podcast. We'd like to shout out our uh, Heart in the Paint listener of the fortnight, and that is... Michael, who is it? Uh, let me check. Uh, according to our stats, it is 
the country of Turkey for apparently botting the shit out of our SoundCloud view or uh, SoundCloud episodes. So, uh, I don't know if you guys have been on the SoundCloud recently, your non-Turkish <laughs> viewers, but we are progressively getting more and more views from random Middle Eastern countries. So uh, we'd like to thank all of our Turkish friends. Yeah, we'll try to we'll try to sneak in a little bit more of uh, uh, fuck. What's his name? Uh, Nick's uh, Enos Cantor. We'll try. We'll try to. We'll try to talk a little bit more more uh, Enos Cantor. Yeah, I, I don't know about his father. I hope he's okay in prison. Uh, don't arrest me or my son. Um, and uh, we will talk to y'all guys next time.